Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts. Chapter 9 will be in uh, verse 36 through 43. Again, that's Acts 9, 36 through 43. You can find it on page 1091 in your pew Bible. I encourage you to turn to it and look it up um, to follow along. One of the things we've been blessed with is you can tell if your preacher is actually reading the scripture to you or making it up. Um, that's, a, that's an important distinction. 500 years ago, before they had the printing press, they didn't have that ability. People didn't read, and we just trusted what the church told us. Turns out, when you give people power, even in the church, they will get corrupted. So, you have, you have God's word in your hand. It's not complicated. You don't need a special degree to understand it. He's written it plainly for you, so I encourage you to read it. So let's read along together now. Luke writes, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Here ends the reading of God's inspired, holy, and infallible word. May he write its eternal truths upon your hearts. Let us pray. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been traveling through the book of Acts, and one of the things the book of Acts really does for us is show us the early church, what was really going on, what it was really like. How did this thing go from 12 men in Jerusalem to this worldwide explosion that continues to grow today. And it continues to grow the fastest today in some of the most persecuted and what we would deem hard to grow places. China and India are quickly becoming the fastest growing Christian areas despite the amount of persecution they face. And so we see that here even in Acts, that when they were persecuted, it grew, it went out, it spread further and further along. And as the, the persecution came, it came specifically from one man named Saul. He was a Pharisee and a Roman citizen. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews. He was rising faster than men his own age, according to himself. He was the chief of all sinners. And there he was persecuting the church. The, the first one to really get Stephen, the deacon, stoned back in chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, he begins persecution, pulling people from their homes in Jerusalem. And then he goes to Damascus to do the same. And in chapter 9, we see of his conversion, this man named Saul. And so we see Saul is 
converted and, and, and we kind of completed that last week, seeing his conversion here in chapter 9. Now, we skipped over one scripture this morning to get to Tabitha, and that scripture was about Aeneas. Now, there's not much to say about Aeneas other than Peter, for the first time, left Jerusalem to go do ministry. See, when persecution happened, the apostles agreed to stay in Jerusalem and let the disciples, let the other believers scatter to Judea and Samaria, and they thought it best to stay in Jerusalem, to stand their ground, to face whatever came their way. But now Saul, the persecutor, is now on their team. The biggest threat to their livelihood is gone, and, and we're told in verse 31 of chapter 9, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And so we see Peter, he travels outside of Jerusalem and he goes to, and he goes to Lydda. And there, while he's in Lydda to check on saints, and in fact the scripture says this, now as Peter went here and there, it almost sounds like a Dr. Seuss book here for a minute, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Peter was there to go and do ministry to check on people in the church and the believers who were there at part of the church in Jerusalem who had scattered. Peter needed to see for himself a report from the front lines as to what was going on. And while he was there in Lydda, this man Aeneas, a paralyzed man for eight years, Peter goes and prays with him and says, Aeneas, get up and clean your mat. And he gets up, cleans his mat, and then all of Lydda and Sharon turn to the Lord, the scripture tells us. And then while he's in Lydda, the disciples, the believers in Joppa must have known he was there somehow because there is this woman, Tabitha. Tabitha, who the scriptures describe to us, full of good works and acts of charity. Scripture rarely describes everyday people in such high esteem as Tabitha. But here, Acts goes out of its way to tell us exactly what we need to know about Tabitha. Full of good works and acts of charity. And every time I read that, I begin to wonder, what is the one sentence that defines my Christian life? Not my life, but my Christian life. What's the one sentence that, that, that's described about you to other Christians. If another pastor was to come to town, what would your brothers and sisters in Christ here at First Christian Church of the Beaches say about you? It's an interesting exercise in beginning to think about, well, what is it exactly I'm known for or I do within the body of Christ? But here's Tabitha, full of good works and acts of charity, and yet she falls ill and she dies. They put her in the upper room. They're prepared. They, and the custom was in that day in first century, when you died, you, you usually got put in a tomb that evening. If you died that day, you got put in the tomb by that evening. But here she's placed in an upper room. They send two other believers. They know Peter's in Lydda. Go get him. He rushes back. And all of these widows are weeping over her passing. Now, this miracle, this healing that we see here with Tabitha, we've seen it before. When we read Scripture, we can go back to the Old Testament and we can see Elijah do a healing of this magnitude, work a miracle of this magnitude of reviving a person dead. We see it also with his successor, Elisha, 
who Elisha also resuscitated someone back to life. But this one specifically begins to conjure up memories and almost exact instances up to all but one consonant of a miracle Jesus performed. See, Jesus also performed the miracle with Lazarus, resuscitated him back to life. But also there was another one, Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. And when Jesus, the story goes, when Jesus is there, according to Scripture, He shows up, He kicks everybody out of the room, He prays, and then He says, Talitha, arise. All but one consonant. See, they, Luke wants us to remember this points to Jesus. And so when Peter arrives, arrives there in Joppa and in the upper room, Tabitha is dead. Peter kicks everybody out, says he kneels down and he prays, and then he says, Tabitha, arise. She sits up and she sees Peter, and Peter helps her stand up and introduces her back to the saints and the widows. Now, what we don't need to get confused about is this is not a resurrection story. This is a healing. This is a miracle of resuscitation. This is a healing, a miracle of being revived, but it is not a resurrection. What Jesus experienced on Easter coming out of the tomb was a resurrection, a new body, a new heavenly body, one that would never perish or die again. But what Tabitha experienced is what Lazarus experienced. It's what Jairus' daughter experienced. It's what those who were resuscitated by Elijah and Elisha experienced. It was resuscitation. She came back into her body, animated her own body again. It's not that she would never die again, but her death was postponed till a later time. That her resurrection had not yet occurred. There is a distinct difference between resuscitation and resurrection. And what Tabitha experienced is resuscitation. And what Jesus did was resurrection. It's important we have that distinction because they're not the same. And, and so here Peter does this healing. He resuscitates Tabitha back to life through the power of Christ. But as we read all three of these stories in Acts, we, we see here at the end with Tabitha. In verse 42 it says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Okay, that's an interesting note. So we go back and we read about Aeneas. And after his healing, it says in verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Okay, now two instances in, in, in Acts chapter 9, that's interesting. We should perk up a little bit. But if we go just one more verse back to verse 31, at the end of Saul's conversion... The scripture tells us in verse 31, so the church multiplied. So here in Acts chapter 9 specifically, when we go back and we take this big view of what's happening in Acts chapter 9, is that after Saul's conversion, the church multiplies. It grows. More people are coming to faith. After Aeneas is healed and, and brought to stand on his own feet again for the first time in eight years, all of Lydda and Sharon turn to the Lord. They repent and turn to the Lord. 
And then when Tabitha is resuscitated, revived back to life, it was known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. What we see here is that God is working and people are being saved. And even here, when we look at all of this together, because Scripture isn't always meant to look at little bites, but it's meant to look at a big breath of a story of what God is doing. God is working and people are being saved. And so we can ask the question reasonably and say, how? How is it that God is working and people are being saved here in this early church? What is it that they are doing that we should also be doing because they were there with the apostles and they were the early church. They had these keys to the kingdom with Peter around. What is it that is going on that allows God to work in such remarkable ways? Because what we have here in chapter 9 are three remarkable transformations. Absolutely remarkable. A persecutor to an apostle? Paralyzed to walking? Dead to life? These transformations are remarkable and extraordinary on any scale of any time period throughout history. And here within this chapter, three remarkable things happen because God is working and people are being saved. Now as God is working, people are being saved, and we ask, how is that happening? Well, when we take a closer look at what is going on in the early church with the apostles, with the deacons, with the believers and new converts, we see God is working through ordinary obedience. It's nothing special. It's not some big effort on our part. Rather, it's Ordinary obedience of people born again into Christ. In fact, the very beginning of Acts starts us out and gives us the blueprint for what ordinary obedience for the church looks like and the members of it. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and, it, and, it's, and it's there and Peter and the apostles go out to the street and he begins and he preaches the sermon of his life and 3,000 men come to faith and they say, Brothers, what do we do now? And he says, repent and be baptized. So they do it. And then they form this new Christian community. A mega church from the very beginning was this movement with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here they are in Jerusalem, 3,000 men plus women and children. And they're sharing all that they have in common. And then it says in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship of the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Right here, it lays it out what ordinary obedience for the church and believers looks like. Through ordinary obedience of faithful disciples, we see remarkable works of God. We see it. We see it in prayer. We see it through proclaiming Christ. And we see it through practicing Christian community. Here we have what we see God doing and working in people's lives through ordinary obedience. Prayer, proclaiming Jesus, practicing Christian community. Now the early church was most definitely focused on prayer. We read all throughout Acts as we've been following along at any instance. If you haven't been with us, you can turn through and find all of these places, but it was, it was right here in the blueprint in Acts 2.42 when he says they devoted themselves 
to the prayers. Or even continues in Acts 4.31 after they've been brought before the Sanhedrin council and told to stop preaching that Jesus was resurrected from the dead when they returned. It says, and they had prayed and the place which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word with boldness. But before anything shook, before any Holy Spirit, before any word of God was spoken with boldness, they prayed. They prayed. They prayed because in the very beginning, when God is fashioning himself a people, and he begins with Israel, he tells them through the prophet Isaiah in 56 verse 7, he says, For my house shall be a house of prayer. For my house, God says, shall be a house of prayer. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of our lives, confirms exactly what His Father said. He quotes Him in Matthew 21, verse 13. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. Jesus was disappointed in what had happened in the temple and the synagogues around, that they'd been turned into a marketplace and they were designed for prayer, designed for a place for you and I who were called from the world to God to communicate with God so that we could tell Him everything going on in our lives, all our wants and desires, our likes, our needs, the things we're, we're struggling with. And it's for God to also speak back to us and say, and here is my will. Here's where I am taking you. Jesus tells His disciples, ask, you shall receive. But it's not just ask for anything, not ask for that 45-foot boat so you can take it offshore and go catch some nice fish after church. It's much more than that. When you ask, and you ask what aligns with God's will, because you've been given a new heart, you've been born again, and you ask in obedience, God answers prayers that are aligned with His will. And here the early church is praying for boldness. Here the early church is praying that more lost people will come to faith in Christ. Here the early church is praying that persecution will stop. But if not, so be it. We will continue to take the gospel. Give us the strength. Their prayers aligned with God's will. Prayer is vital for all of God's people. There's a 19th century preacher in London. His name's Charles Spurgeon. You may have heard of him or not. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. He had a modern day megachurch there in London. And he would take new visitors to the basement on a visit. He would take them to the, to the, to the dungy basement in a London church, New London Metropolitan Church. And he would take them down there and he would say, this is our engine room. And he would get there and he would open the door for them and say, if the engine, if the engine room is out of action, then the mill will grind to a halt. And do you know what the people saw? They saw men and women on their knees in prayer. 
that's the engine room of the church. The engine room of our lives. It's the motor that keeps our heart pumping and going. And as Charles Spurgeon says, if our prayer halts, so does our life. Paul, the apostle, who was this Saul guy, this this persecutor, he's converted to be an apostle. And so Paul, he writes this letter to a church in Ephesus and he tells them about prayer because he understands the importance of it. He knows how vital it is. And he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We read this church in Acts, and their acts of ordinary obedience. We see they pray. We see it's important. We see what it does and how God is working and saving people for his glory. So they pray as an act of faith and an act of obedience. And they proclaimed. They proclaimed Christ and Him crucified. In chapter 9, verse 20, immediately after Saul is baptized into the faith, it says, then he immediately proclaims Jesus as the Son of God. Convincing, proving that He was the promised Messiah. Immediately. He proclaims Christ. Immediately on Pentecost, Peter goes down into the streets and begins preaching. In every instance, Peter gets, he tells of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross by dying and shedding his blood as an atonement for the forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death where Satan was left and he thought he had won. He was now left empty-handed without the Son of God. And Jesus rise to victory. And he preached it every chance he could. And so did the other apostles. And so as they're preaching and they're teaching this, even in the midst of persecution, they're saying, no, we're not going to stop doing this. Kill us if you have to. The church is getting so big and unmanageable, they appoint deacons. There's seven of them. We know Stephen and Philip. And while they were there to care for the widows, what does the scripture tell us they did? They also proclaimed Christ and did miracles and did signs and wonders. They told others of the good news of Jesus Christ. And see, God says, God says when he was fashioning for himself a people in the nation of Israel, he says to the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 12, verse 4, in that day, you will give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Jesus gives us what we call the Great Commission. And it's not just for the apostles. It's not just for preachers, teachers, or evangelists. It's for all the saints to go and do the ministry we've been called to. The Great Commission is this. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And what did he command to us? 
what we know it is the greatest commandment, right? He says in John 15, verse 12, on the night that he was to be betrayed, gathered with his disciples at the Passover feast, he gives them this new commandment. He says to love one another as I have loved you. And we often interpret that and move it and take it to mean, well, I need to care and serve and uplift and encourage others. And that is part of it, but that is not the whole of it. Dare I say, if we love our spouse, we love our kids, our family, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, We would tell them about Christ. We would proclaim his good works. We would proclaim the sufficiency of what he accomplished on the cross. If we had love. Don't get shy on me. I see you on Facebook. I see you in social media. I see you at grocery stores and interacting with neighbors and friends. I see you talking about Avengers. I see you talking about Game of Thrones. I see you talking about the greatest new book you read, quick to give recommendations or high praise of a restaurant you just saw for the first time or willing to tell people that there's a Fuzzy's Taco Shop on Southside Boulevard that came from TCU at Texas, has the best tacos around. You're willing to tell people that. <laughs> You're willing to share all of that. And for ever word of mouth advertisers businesses have known this forever word of mouth is the best advertising you can ever get nothing will ever beat a personal word of mouth recommendation and nothing will ever beat a personal witness to the saving acts of jesus christ proclaiming christ i wish there was a softer way to get into this and urge you towards it. But Jesus doesn't make it so easy for us. In Jesus' own words in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke, the same author who writes Acts, he says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Of God. Not my words. It's Jesus. Jesus, not letting us off the hook for proclaiming Christ to those we're called to love. So we see that. God and Jesus, we see the early church proclaiming Christ crucified and Him resurrected. They're praying, they're proclaiming, and they're a practicing Christian community. We gather that because we see that Barnabas sold his land to help those in need, to help fund this new community so that anyone in need had stuff that they could use together. We see it with Tabitha when it describes Tabitha in our scripture today as a woman full of good works and acts of charity. And the widows who are weeping are holding the tunics and the garments she made for those in need. We see that Tabitha gave of herself while she was living for those with whom she cared and loved. Practicing Christian community. Helping out those in need. Praying with those who are afflicted. Spending time 
with those who are alone. If you've been here for any amount of time and ever gone through a hardship or you know someone in the church who has, you will know that here at First Christian Church of the Beaches, we take practicing Christian community very seriously. Last week, you all cheered for it when you heard the gift we were able to give Pastor James over at Bethany Christian Church in Lakeland, Florida. Though he hasn't been part of our exact faith community since 2012, he still cared for him and you loved them as Jesus had loved you. He sends his thanks to you as he's battling cancer from the tip of his toes to the top of his head. And he was so overwhelmed by the gift, he and his wife Susan, because he told me and wants you to know that it's relieved them of the burden of the medical debt they were carrying. So now they're free to face tomorrow because you care enough to practice Christian community, to live out, love one another as I have loved you. See, it's a both and in that new commandment. It's proclaiming and caring. It's not one or the other. It's to do them together. And here, that's what we see in Acts. We see them doing this. And, and Peter, who is the apostle there with Tabitha, there amongst this Christian community, he'll write his own letter and there he'll write in the fourth chapter, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever. When we see ordinary obedience from this early church, from the apostles, the deacons, the believers, the disciples, the new converts, we see three remarkable transformations occur. But we see much more than that because all of them point to Christ. We see that the church is multiplying. People turning to the Lord and coming to faith in God. God is working. And people are being saved. If we are faithful to the ordinary, God is faithful to do the extraordinary. If we're faithful to the ordinary, praying proclaiming, practicing Christian community, God is faithful to the extraordinary. Not the three remarkable transformations that we see in chapter 9, but faithful to the extraordinary of lost sinners coming to Christ. Those who are dead in sin that thought they were promised life and joy in the sins that only led them to the grave, they, he will continue to work to seek and save the lost. For that is his mission. Because he has great love. He wants you to be about it as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, on this day, we give you thanks for the power of the Holy Spirit because we know, although this is a call to be faithful to ordinary obedience, we cannot do it without the strength of you with us. We ask the Holy Spirit to continue to push us to pray 
push us to proclaim and push us out of our comfort zone as we practice this Christian community you've called us to. Lord, we know you're working in this world and you're saving people. May we be faithful and obedient so we can hear the stories and see your extraordinary works. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.